Welcome back to Nothing But Airtime on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I'm your host, Cole Rains, and what a show we have for all of you today. We get back to the basketball side of things and debut the round ball recap, where we're going to recap some of the highlights of this past week's action, react to some really bad lists and fan takes today, and of course, give our hump day hoopers and hater Wednesday because it is Wednesday and both of those will be to close out the show. Packed, loaded show for all of you today. And all of it is brought to you by BetUS. BetUS is an A-rated sports book. And if you have some New Year's resolution to win some money, BetUS has you covered with casino games, horse racing, or just good old-fashioned sports gambling. It's our preferred sports book here at Nothing But Airtime. should be yours as well. So go to betus.com.pa, enter promo code AIRTIME, that's A-I-R-T-I-M-E, and you will get a 100% bonus when you get started. Let's get into it. Nothing But Airtime on the Nothing But Net channel. Welcome to the 2022 Week 1 Round Ball Recap, and I hope you all had a safe New Year celebration. One team that did not have such a good New Year's and was drunk at the wheel was the Brooklyn Nets. Losers of three straight, losing under the influence at home three straight games in a row, but that is okay. Kyrie Swerving is coming back Wednesday night, and hopefully this team can rally around their drunk Uncle Drew. The team that overtook the Nets at the one seed in the East are the Chicago Bulls, and that is due in part to the most lovable superstar in the league, DeMar DeRozan, as he DeMar DeRose the roof off the place with back-to-back buzzer beaters as he led Chi-Town to win eight straight games. And although the Magic are losers of six straight games, Franz Wagner is here to pump you up as he is starting to take strides forward as he took home the top rookie in December. Moving out west, Kevin Porter Jr. did his best Antonio Brown impersonation as he left the Rockets at halftime, but did so with the shirt on. Lots of frustration as the Rockets are losers of eight straight. And speaking of teams' issues and frustration, the masonry convention that has been the Los Angeles Lakers, led by head mason Russell Westbrick, has been pure comedy as the King cannot keep his pawns in order as they four and six in their last ten. But the team on the rise out west, how about those Memphis Grizzlies, folks? Winners of five straight. Their shining star, John Morant, looks to be the eighth wonder of the world, replacing that. Bass Pro Shops Pyramid down in Memphis, and while Spider-Man No Way Home dominated the box office in December, it was Spider Mitchell who dominated the West as he was the Western Conference Player of the Month. That is the Week 1 Round Ball Recap, and now we're getting back to your regular scheduled programming. So that's the action this week. A lot happened. Kevin Porter Jr. doing his best Antonio Brown impersonation. Kyrie Irving coming back Wednesday, and how about Clay Thompson getting here ready to come back for the Warriors. But it's that time of year. It's that time of year people start putting their takes out, whether it be MVP, Rookies of the Year, and everybody make lists. Every NBA fan makes a list this time of year. And I think it's that time of year where I'm going to get mad at those lists. And the first list I'm going to get mad at is the basketball reference top 10 NBA MVP tracker. Number one was Giannis Antetokounmpo, number two was Nikola Jokic, number three was Stephen Curry, and number four was Kevin Durant. Now, any way you look at it, any way you carve it out, those are your top four. Probably. I'll get into it. I would have Jokic number one just because the team around him is brutal. The gap between him and the second best player, probably Aaron Gordon, is the largest in the league. Giannis has Middleton, Durant has Harden, Curry has Draymond Green. Jokic doesn't have that bona fide guy right next to him so I think he's probably the most valuable player right now best player in the league probably not most valuable absolutely like I said though that's your top four anyway you want to carve it Bron could be argued but you're not going to catch too much flack from me where my problems start is at number five and it all starts with the big bad Frenchman that rubbed a million microphones and ruined the 2020 regular season Now, don't get me wrong. The big bad Frenchman plays a valuable role defensively. But according to NBA writers, he wasn't even the best player on his own team this month, folks. I I cannot believe that we have him fifth in the NBA MVP race. Defensive player of the year probably has it locked up. Draymond Green has an argument. But the big bad Frenchman being fifth in MVP voting... Over guys like Donovan Mitchell, LeBron James, DeMar DeRozan, Joel Embiid. 
I can't even believe it. And like I said, Donovan Mitchell, one of the Western Conference Player of the Month. If you take Donovan Mitchell off the Jazz, that team is a mess offensively. That team is not winning too many games. He's one of the highest usage rates of the league. One of the bigger voids to fill if he got hurt. Jordan Clarkson's not filling that. Mike Conley's not filling that. Joe Ingles is not filling that. The Jazz need Donovan Mitchell's offensive output. And sure, the Jazz need the big bad Frenchman's defensive output too. But I don't think the Jazz need Rudy Gobert as much as the Lakers need LeBron James. I don't think the Jazz need Rudy Gobert as much as the Bulls need DeMar DeRozan. I don't think the Jazz need Rudy Gobert as much as the Grizzlies need John Morant. I don't think the Jazz need Rudy Gobert as much as the Sixers need Joel Embiid. I'm just going to keep reiterating that because Joel Embiid is a bona fide superstar. So the big bad Frenchman at five, it just goes to show me. And this is the whole thing about this exercise. People that are paid to write about basketball do not like basketball. And it frustrates me. They like numbers. We are playing Maury ball. This is not money ball, folks. This is Maury ball. Rudy Gobert, why do we like him? Because he gets on base. No, this isn't Scott Hatterberg we're talking about. He's not hitting a freaking massive home run to get that A's win streak. Chris Pratt's not playing the big bad Frenchman in any movie coming out soon. I'm sorry, folks. As funny as it would be, it's not happening. Chris Pratt's playing Mario in 2022. Not the big bad Frenchman. But what I'm struggling with here is this is a straight statistics ploy. And we're getting away from the eye test. I have watched Rudy Gobert get dunked on by Terrence Mann, get played off the floor by James Harden year after year. And Giannis Antetokounmpo was back-to-back MVP, but the moment that he showed he couldn't do it in the playoffs, he wasn't the MVP. Rudy Gobert should never get MVP votes. I'm sorry. The big bad Frenchman, what he did to the league, how he gets played off the floor in crunch time in the playoffs, I can't have it. I'm not a big bad Frenchman believer, and I'm certainly not going to have him in my top 10 for MVP. So big problem that Rudy Gobert is over even the guy next, James Harden at number six. How does that happen? How is James Harden less valuable than Rudy Gobert? James Harden accounts for 50 points a game for the Nets with these 30 points, 10 assists. It's ridiculous to me. Now, granted, James Harden's another big problem of mine. We have never seen two teammates be top six in the MVP. And James Harden's listed before LeBron James. He's listed before DeMar DeRozan. He's listed before Joel Embiid. And DeMar DeRozan, LeBron James, and Joel Embiid, they all have something in common. They don't have another top 10 MVP player on this. How he can be most valuable when you have another most valuable player on your team? Explain that to me, numbers people. Now, granted, Curry and Durant had some top 10 finishes shared in MVP from 16 to 18, but they were never four and six. They were like six and eight. They were five and nine, three and 10. They were always around that range, not four and six. Take Harden off the Nets, that team's still probably a playoff team. You take him beat off the Sixers, you're looking at a lot of Andre Drummond minutes, and we all know how NBA Twitter feels about Andre Drummond. Uh-uh. Take LeBron off the Lakers, and that team's a play-in team. Maybe. It's, it's on Russ's shoulders. And you take Anthony Davis off the – or Anthony Davis, excuse me. You take DeMar DeRozan off the Bulls, maybe that team's a play-in team. I don't know. DeRozan legitimizes the Bulls, though, and that's why my argument starts and ends with DeRozan. Is James Harden more valuable to the Nets than DeMar DeRozan is to the Bulls? I'll ask you that question. I don't think so. I see a world where many could have it because, sure, there's been COVID issues with the Nets, and some of those signings just haven't worked out, and Harden's been vital to that team. But I wouldn't say sixth most valuable vital, maybe like eight or nine. And another one I've got a problem with. And I'm going to go on a rant here. Chris Paul should never be in the top 10 for MVP. And granted, is he a valuable player in his own right? Yes. Does he make players better around him? Yes. We see it with Jalen Smith right now. Jalen Smith's a young big man, second year guy. He's starting to thrive a little bit playing off Chris Paul. DeAndre Ayton thrived a little bit playing off Chris Paul. Devin Booker's learning a lot under Chris Paul. Michael Bridges is starting to get national attention because Chris Paul's talking about him. But Chris Paul does this everywhere he goes. And, and, and I'm not a believer in Ayton yet. 
And you won't convince me otherwise. Chris Paul did it to DeAndre Jordan, and I think he's doing it with the DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton's a little more talented than DeAndre Jordan, but I don't think Ayton's the guy that I'd pitch my wagons to if I was Phoenix. I think Phoenix did the right thing in giving their money to Mike Bridges. Mike Bridges defends a lot of positions. He can knock down a three, and that's the way the league's moving right now. A lot of small ball teams make the make the top four top five seeds and a lot of small ball teams end up winning Giannis played a lot of center for that Bucks team the the Lakers you had AD at the center so I you know DeAndre Ayton as good as he is as talented as he is I think CP3 is making him look a little bit better than what we're gonna see in the future but Chris Paul at seven moving back to the MVP thing I'm not a fan of Chris Paul I think he's a dirty player he's never won he, he's never won with the Rockets with those Mori ball teams he never won with the Lob City teams I watched Chris Paul shoot a freaking three-quarter shot three-quarter court shot trying to draw a foul against Russell Westbrook and nothing came out of it Clippers lose that game Clippers go on to lose the series I've watched Chris Paul blow leaves with the thunder I've watched Chris Paul granted he got lucky with the Suns a little bit Lakers were a little bit hurt Nuggets were a little bit hurt Clippers were a little bit hurt just like the Bucks were lucky but Chris Paul didn't take that next step to win the finals last year and I don't think that's, and I know playoffs and past performances don't come into the MVP voting, but when you're an NBA writer looking down at that MVP vote, you can't, you got to think, okay, we can't have, give me, eh, here's a good, we can't have Bradley Beal be an all NBA because his team don't win in the playoffs. He can't. We can't have Trey Young be an MVP as the 13 seed. We can't have Joel Embiid be the MVP as an 8 seed. You never see that. Now, granted, Chris Paul's probably going to be a 1 or a 2 seed, but the statistics aren't there. And I, I'd probably be a little less mad if it was Bron at 5, DeMar DeRozan at 6, and Chris Paul was after these guys. Chris Paul does make everyone a little bit better around him. But I'm mad that CP3 Harden and the Big Bad Frenchman are all above guys like LeBron James, DeMar DeRozan, Joel Embiid, John Morant, guys that shoulder the low for those offenses. And granted, DeMar DeRozan is kind of in that similar realm as Chris Paul, but DeMar DeRozan is taking shots at the end of the game. He's handling the ball at the end of the game. He's the veteran presence that the Bulls needed, the steady hand that the Bulls needed, just like Chris Paul was for the Suns, but DeMar DeRozan has the statistics to back it up. Excuse me. Chris Paul is... 16 and 9, I believe, right now, which is fine numbers. Fine numbers. I wouldn't even know if it's all NBA right now. You want to go through the all NBA guards? James Harden, Donovan Mitchell. How about DeMar? Is DeMar DeRozan a guard? Is Zach Levine a guard? Is John Morant going to make it? Is Trey Young going to make it? Is Steph Curry's definitely on there? You know, there's there's five to six guards right there. I don't even know if CP3 is an All-NBA guard. So I, him being in the top 10, more evidence that these people just care about statistics, care about Maury Ball when it comes to voting for the best player in the league. And don't rely on the eye test. It is just brutal to me. Number eight, LeBron James. And I want to preface this. As much as I hate CP3, I don't. I think LeBron James is my most hated player in the NBA. I, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up a, a Detroit fan. He constantly beat those guys. And he made it so corny. He joined the Heat. He did the decision. He made it so easy not to like him as a kid that grew up around D. Rose, Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, where I was like, okay, this guy is the big bad. He is Randy Orton. He is the best heel there is. And he was so good about it. So I'm not a fan of him at all. At all. But what he is doing right now is nothing short of a spectacle. What is it, year 19? Was he 38 years old? And in his last 10 games, he's averaging 32 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 assists? And mind you, he's doing it at a position that he's not familiar with? The center? Please give this man some flowers. I'm doing it begrudgingly. The fact that he is not top five in the MVP, he is single-handedly carrying this brutal, and when I say brutal, brutal Lakers team. You're talking about a team that has Trevor Ariza, DeAndre Jordan, and Dwight Howard on it in the year 2021. 2022 now. So they're even a year older. 
So give LeBron James his flowers. He deserves to be in the top five MVP, maybe even the top three. The statistics probably aren't there. I know he's missed some games, but what he has had to deal with, the the constant media attention, the fact that he puts out every night just because the Lakers need him to, give him his flowers. I am doing so begrudgingly. And at number nine, DeMar DeRozan on the list from Basketball Reference. As for DeMar DeRozan, he's probably not a top five MVP candidate, but he's a good gauge when it comes to guys like James Harden, Chris Paul, the big bad Frenchman, because he's carrying an offense attack with Zach Levine on the Bulls. He's got two buzzer beaters of back-to-back days. It was one of the more criticized signings this offseason. I'll go on the record. I didn't like it. I thought it was too many cooks in the kitchen. But here we are, the Bulls have figured it out, and the Bulls are one of the teams that have been hit hard most with COVID. And the fact that DeMar DeRozan is just steady hand, here's 24 a night, I'm going to carry you down the stretch, I'm going to take big shots down the stretch and not be afraid, I'm going to be your veteran presence, awesome, awesome. Top five is a stretch when you're talking about guys like Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Jokic, Giannis, that's a, that's a stretch when it comes to DeMar DeRozan. But he's proven to be a very, very valuable piece on that Chicago Bulls team. And number 10 on the list is Donovan Mitchell. I'm not a jazz guy. Not a fan of the big Frenchman. Not a fan of Donovan Mitchell. I've made that evident. What Joel Embiid is doing just to get snubbed off a top 10 MVP list is downright disgusting. And granted, has he missed some time? Sure. And what did DeAndre, or not DeAndre, Andre Drummond do when Embiid was hurt or out? It didn't do him any favors. Andre Drummond was probably 20 and 15. He was doing good work. But I watched Joel Embiid, and this is the eye test versus statistics here, folks. I watched Joel Embiid take it to Durant and company beat the Nets, and he took it personally. I watched him talk his, and I can't say that word, but he talked up and down the court and made sure everyone knew he was the best player on the court. And man, oh man, was it awesome to see. If you're a Sixers fan, that is what you want to see from your big man. Joel Embiid is a top 10 MVP candidate, probably top six or seven. He's probably around where DeRozan's at. He's... And since he's been back healthy these last 10 games, 31 points a game, 11 rebounds, and he's 50-40-90. So if you want to argue the statistic route, there's that. Granted, yeah, the value, if you want to say Andre Drummond did what Embiid did, sure. The team didn't win as much, but sure. Hard to ignore, though, that Joel Embiid is going to be a top 10 talent here in the MVP race. And that's where the problem starts for me, though. They have Rudy Gobert over Joel Embiid. They have Rudy Gobert over LeBron James. I swear the people who are paid to write about basketball don't enjoy the game of basketball. They don't watch it. They're just statisticians. Go do some accounting, nerd. I don't know what to tell you. They enjoy the ideas of statistics running the game of basketball. Why don't you go watch the Warriors beat up on the Rockets for three years, come back and say, hey, you know what? Maybe the eye test works. Maybe there's a happy medium here and the Warriors found it. Because my goodness, is this just maddening that Rudy Gobert is a top five MVP candidate in people's eyes. Maury Ball ruined how how basketball is perceived. Ruined it. What we need to start doing is we need to stop, or excuse me, what we need to stop doing, we need to stop criticizing the guys on the TNT. We need to stop criticizing those guys that are pure eye test. They might not know many people's names, but they'll tell you what they see. Shaquille O'Neal is not going to worry about freaking the big Frenchman's wind shares. I can tell you that right now. The Shaquille O'Neal, he didn't care about his wind shares. Shaquille O'Neal is going to go get 40 and 20 on the big Frenchman. No questions asked. Nikola Jokic gives 47 to the big Frenchman. So if you want to argue that the MVP is the big Frenchman, Nikola Jokic takes that argument and craps out 47 on him. Stop criticizing guys that give the eye test in basketball. The eye test is what most common fans want to hear. Nobody cares about win shares. 
The moment we start talking about win shares and effective field goal percentage and offensive and defensive box plus minus, stop doing it. Nobody cares. People want to hear what they're going to see on their TV. Oh my goodness, Donovan Mitchell takes 20 shots a game, but he's fun to watch. He's doing highlight dunks. Stop talking about win shares. Start talking about the dunks. Start talking about the crossovers again. Nobody gave a poop about Allen Iverson and his effective field goal percentage. I'm sure it wasn't as good as what we see out of some of the other guys, but Allen Iverson was, man, was he fun to watch play. So stop. Rely on the eye test. There's a spot for analytics. If you're working in the front office, we're just gauging who's the most valuable player. Rudy Gobert is not a top five most valuable player if you use the eye test, folks. So moving forward, my eye test top 10 MVP list would look something like this. Nikola Jokic at one. As I said, the gap between him and the second best player on the team, it's the biggest league. It's, it's the biggest in the league. And they're still a five seed. That's value. That's probably the most value you're going to see in this league. And then I have a tie at second with Giannis and Steph Curry for differing reasons. What Steph brings offensively is what Giannis is going to bring defensively. They're game-changing effects that you have to scheme around. And I wanted to give this light edge to Giannis because he does everything for that Bucks team offensively and defensively. But the Warriors are the one seed, and Steph's defense is some of the best of his career. So it's a tie. And I know it's boring. And I know it's kissing your sister. But in this case, your sister is Alexandra Daddario. You don't want to do it, but you see the benefit in it. So tied at second between Giannis and Steph Curry. And at number four, I have LeBron James. I have LeBron James over Kevin Durant. And I'm a big Durant guy. I've been on this show telling you that Kevin Durant is having one of the best offensive seasons ever and LeBron James is still the fourth MVP candidate over him LeBron James is over Kevin Durant he's over the big bad Frenchman he's over James Harden and I was tempted to make it a three-way tie for a second but that's when the cousin gets involved and that's just not okay but the case for Brian over KD is pretty slim what LeBron James has turned into this season is something I did not think we would see again And looking at, and I know I said I don't want to look at the numbers. The eye test, though, it's pretty close between LeBron and Kevin Durant. This is a case where, hey, what's the difference in average and what's the percentage shooting? Who's taking more shots? When you brought in Russell Westbrook to the Lakers, you knew that LeBron James would have to play a little bit more off ball. And he has. And here's evidence he has. He's taken the most three-pointers a game in his career. And it's at eight. The next closest, I think, was at six and a half which is just about three more attempts than Kevin Durant. And you know what? Bron is percentage points better than Kevin Durant when it comes to shooting three. He adjusted to his team, and he's shouldering a huge load. I'm giving LeBron the edge over Kevin Durant, and it hurts me to say it, but it makes the most sense. At number five is Kevin Durant. Easy, simple, one of the best five players in the league this year. Number six, I have DeMar DeRozan. And just outside of the top five is probably the perfect spot for him. He's not been the sixth best player in the league this year, top 10 for sure, but six, that's in question. His value, however, is irreplaceable. He legitimizes the Bulls' chances. And I don't want to hear any of your playoff slander for DeMar DeRozan because come playoff time last year, we all saw how important shot creation and mid-range jumpers can be. And nobody's better at that than DeMar DeRozan. He's going to be a valuable piece. He's going to be hitting those step-back mid-range at the free-throw line, turnaround jumpers, all playoff long. And I'm going to hear all these people tell me that, oh, this is a bad shot. I test, folks. DeMar DeRozan is the sixth MVP candidate on my list. Number seven, I have Joel Embiid. Just because of missed time and what Drummond did replacing him, definitely a top 10 valuable piece. Probably has an argument for top five without the injury. I just seven, right? He's comparable with the Rosen for me. Number eight, I have James Harden. Curry and Durant never both finished in the top six of MVP voting. And as good as Harden has been, I cannot have that duo of Harden and Durant be the first ever to reach that feat. Harden has not been good enough and nowhere near how well Steph has played on some of those Warriors teams. So him at eight, keeping the duo out of the top six. At nine, I have Donovan Mitchell just for the sheer fact of how much he carries that offensive load. Does he take a lot of shots? Yes, but the Jazz need him to, and the Jazz very much need it. So his value is very high. And number 10, that's right, John Morant. You bet your sweet cheeks I'm giving the eighth wonder of the world some rub in the MVP race. Has he missed some time? Yeah. But in that missed time, the Grizzlies are just five and four. With, with him in the lineup, 19 and 10. 
Pretty remarkable stuff for a third-year guy. He has the highlight reel, the county numbers, and now all he lacks is that storyline. So maybe it's a year too early, but his name should be considered in the top 10 race. And then my honorable mention is Draymond Green. I would have Draymond Green in the MVP race before the big bad Frenchman. And this is where the eye test probably triumphs over the statistical nerds. The big bad Frenchman does have the most win shares in the league. But what Draymond Green brings to a court is irreplaceable. He is the highest defensive box plus minus in the league and the best defensive rating in the league and is on the heels of the big bad Frenchman in defensive win share. So if you want to argue the statistic route, he's right on par with Gobert and he brings just about as much offensively. I really wanted to find a spot to respect Draymond in the top 10. He just hasn't been good enough. I couldn't get him in over Harden, Mitchell, or Ja, but I think he's a, his case is a little better than the Frenchman. In no world, in no world, does Rudy Gobert have more value than LeBron James or DeMar DeRozan? In no world is Joel Embiid not top 10. The people writing about this game need to watch the game and stop analyzing numbers. It's a concept, quite the concept, but a concept. After the break, I'm going to get mad about redrafting way too early. All right. Time to get mad at list number two from Niraj Varma on the Raptors Cage website. He thought it'd be a good idea to do a 2021 NBA redraft of the top 10 picks. And before we get to his top 10, I'd like to say a word. The fact that we are doing this greatly upsets me. Because Franz Wagner could put 10 to 15 pounds on over the offseason and be like, oh well, why was he not the first picked? Redrafting is stupid. Always will be. And it's because teams draft to address needs. And not always taking the best talent available is something that occurs. That being said, I'm going to partake in this stupid exercise, get frustrated about Mr. Varma's redrafted top 10, and just a note before we get going, Mr. Varma redrafted solely based off talent, so I will not include where these rookies would have went. His top 10. Number one, Evan Mobley. Undeniable. The future. He, Garland, and Allen are the guys the Cavs have hitched their wagons to, and it's not only successful now, but going to be successful for a long time. His length, ability to disrupt shots in the paint, his ability to block jump shots, disrupt passing lanes, he's a unique talent and is going to be a good power forward for a very long time. Number two, Scotty Barnes. Another one that's pretty undeniable. Could be 1A, 1B with Mobley and Barnes. Both make major impacts on the games. The shock with me with Barnes was his output offensively. His ability to break down defenders, develop a jump shot, one of the more interesting two-way pieces in the NBA. No gripes yet. Number three, Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham, not Cunningham. Cunningham. He does gun quite a bit, but Cade Cunningham. As much as Cade was probably a home run first pick this offseason, Mobley and Barnes have progressed into talents that nobody saw coming. Hence, problem number one, that redrafting is stupid. No one knows what these guys would look like in the NBA when they're drafting in the first place. So redrafting not only just three months after the draft, a couple months after the draft is stupid, but but Kate's still a top three pick to me. No gripes yet. Josh Giddy, number four. No gripes yet. December's Rookie of the Month in the West. Youngest ever get a triple-double. He's good on TikTok. Has faced the franchise type fives. He's averaging 10.7 rebounds, six assists on pretty minimal usage playing with Shea. I like Giddy at the fourth pick. Still needs to pack some muscle mass on him, but at four, it's not too much of a stretch at the redraft. My problem lies here that Mr. Sharma, or excuse me, Mr. Varma, is upset Giddy wasn't taken at four. It's hard to project overseas, guys. Could be Luca or Giannis, or it could be Dante Exum. You never know, because redrafting is stupid. Number five, Jalen Green. My first gripe. I'm getting mad at another list, folks. Jalen Green had the flair. He called out Cade. He was a G League guy. It was an interesting number two pick for the Rockets. To add into the redraft strategy, if you're just going solely based off what we've seen this year, why is Franz Wagner not five? Why is Franz Wagner not four? Houston is two and 18 when Jalen Green plays. He's shooting 39% from the field and is a net negative on both sides of the ball. So if you are going to do a redraft, redraft right. 
please. Wagner is a better talent from what we've seen, and he probably should be five. Number six is Franz Wagner. Mr. Varma heard my concerns. Right after Green, he had the guy I wanted at five. Wagner's a capable scorer. We've seen him have upwards of 35 points on a couple of occasions. He can catch and shoot. He leads the rookie class in 20-point games. He's not a bad defender. And he plays a more valuable position at the wing, I'd say. I'd consider Wagner maybe even the top three to four range if it wasn't for guys like Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley, and Cade Cunningham. Number seven, Alperen Sengun, the youngest MVP in the Turkish League. Very unique skill set. He's not a great floor spacer, but passing and creative offense out of the post with his IQ is something that a lot of young big men lack, and Sangoon has exactly that. He's deserving of anywhere from this 5-7 to seven pick in the redraft. He's got some talent. I like what I've seen out of him in Houston. Gives me some jokic vibes, I will admit. So I like what I've seen out of Sangoon at 7. Number 8, high pedigree pick here, Jalen Suggs. Guy hit big shots from Gonzaga. He won at that level everywhere except the championship. But moving in the NBA level, his shooting splits are just not that good. He was top five in the NBA draft, and although I believe he could probably be a top five talent out of this draft, I don't think being in Orlando is not going to do that for him. Based off what we've seen with the Magic, there's a log jam there. Suggs has fallen into a Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, R.J. Hampton, Gary Harris rotation, and I don't think he's going to develop that well. And that's another reason that redrafts are stupid. Because Suggs could have gone to the Raptors and tore it up with Van Bleet and be redrafted at one or two. It's all about situation in the NBA sometimes. But that situation is not good for him. So Suggs probably won't even sniff top five picks in future redrafts. Redrafts are stupid. Number nine, Chris Duarte. Chris Duarte was a greatly criticized pick by many NBA draft so-called experts. He was 24 at the time of the draft. I know, very old for the NBA. Which swayed a lot from him. Which swayed a lot of teams from him. He's still been a solid player for the Pacers. Top 10 talent of this draft for sure. I'm not mad he had him at 9. Probably has an argument over Suggs. But when you're talking about projecting Suggs against Chris Duarte, Jalen Suggs is 19, Chris Duarte is 24. Suggs has more room to improve. And number 10, my favorite thing people do in NBA redrafts, Herbert Jones. Last but certainly not least... A second-round pick is making the top 10. Quite a stupid reason why redrafts are stupid. I'm just going to keep reiterating it. Nobody projected Herb Jones in the first round if we were to go back in time and redraft everyone. Nobody would have had Herb Jones over like guys like Cam Thomas, Chris Duarte, Alpern, and Sangoon. Not a chance. And his Herbert Jones, a top 10 rookie talent this year? Yeah, of course. But at the time, no one was going to project that. So why redraft him at 10? Use logic here. So, me being the great NBA analyst that I am, I wouldn't even call myself an analyst. I'd just call myself an educated fan. I'm going to give you the correct redraft. Looking at the young man's pedigree, what we have seen in the NBA, and based on team need. So without further ado... The first pick of the 2022 redraft of the 2021 draft. Number one, Evan Mobley to the Detroit Pistons. Even at the time, Mobley had a lot of interest to go in the top three. He had the length. Many scouts were comparing him to AD. Cade probably was the surefire one here, but I don't think many many questioned Mobley getting drafted first. It would fill in Jeremy Grant's replacement. And even without drafting a power forward, Jeremy Grant is still getting traded. So Mobley would have just sped up that process. So don't use that fit against me. Mobley and Beef Stew is a lot of fun. You have Killian Hayes there. You have Josh Jackson, Hamadou Diallo, Sadiq Bey. So you still have a pretty good young core. And Mobley ignites that to another level. Number two is Cade Cunningham. And as much as Barnes has flourished, Cade was going to be a top two pick between him and Jalen Green in the first draft, not my redraft. And in this case, it was between Cade and Mobley in my redraft. And the Rockets get the consolation prize of Cade Cunningham. And, and, and yeah, fit-wise, Cade probably wants the ball in his hands a little bit more, playing off of Kevin Porter Jr. in Houston. But he's playing off of Killian Hayes in Detroit right now, so it's not too different. So Cade Cunningham to, to the Rockets. Number three, I have Scotty Barnes to the Cavs. And it would be quite the surprise, but with Mobley going early, the Cavs don't want to 
take another guard in Jalen Green. They have Sexton and Garland, so they probably move to take arguably the best forward on the board, which is Scotty Barnes, to fill the void that is created by not being able to draft a guy like Mobley. So the top three is solidified, similar to Mr. Varma's, just a different order. So Mobley to the Pistons, Cunningham to the Rockets, Barnes to the Cavaliers, and at four... We have Green to the Raptors. Now, Masai and Nick Nurse have a certain type of prototype they like going after. Siakam, Barnes, and Anobi, Achua. That's not on the board, though. So we're going to get Jalen Green here. With the solid defense of OG and Siakam, getting a guy like Green to be that offensive focal point is perfect for what Toronto wants to do. He'd be the best available and probably fill a need at the two-guard position for Nurse. So has he been the best in the NBA? No, but at the time, it would make the most sense for him to be the top four pick. At five, I have Franz Wagner, not Jalen Sucks. The original pick was Jalen Sucks. But with Markel Fultz, if he ever comes back, RJ Hampton, Cole Anthony, Gary Harris, the last pick they needed was another guard. The big man rotation was young, and it seemed that Orlando was committed to Carter and Bamba. So going after the wing would probably be the best option here. And Wagner fits that. The hope with this Magic team drafting Wagner at five, would you get Fultz, Cole Anthony, Wagner, Jonathan Isaac, Wendell Carter, Mo Bamba, RJ Hampton, to kind of compete in the future. That's not a bad seven to move forward with. You don't want to get a log jam at the guard position. Number six, talking about guards, Josh Giddy to the Thunder, another guard to help take pressure off Shea. Made sense at the time then. It makes sense now. Seven, another one that's going to stay the same. Jonathan Kaminga, who was not on Mr. Varma's big board, and I'm very upset about because I think he's going to be pretty good. The Warriors desperately needed a wing and maybe another big man, but I think Kaminga fits more of what the Warriors needed than an Alperin Sangoon type. So Kaminga, seven. Chris Duarte, eight. The Magic are a young team, full rebuild. So getting a older college player that has the experience putting the ball in the basket to play off a guard rotation, play wing along with Wagner, it just makes sense. And as much as Suggs would have been nice here, Duarte has not only been better, but it fits what the Magic needed. And at number nine, I have Elperin Sangoon to the Kings. Now, this was a tough one for me. Could have been him or Suggs. The Kings have log jams everywhere, though. They took Davion Mitchell with the original pick. So no matter what you're going to do, you have guys like Heald, Barnes, Halliburton, Holmes, Bagley, Fox. They have a lot of just B-level players everywhere you look on that team. So why not take a swing on a foreign guy? Elperin Sangoon might compliment Rashawn Holmes you look at deepening the big man rotation see if you can replace Bagley as he was probably going to get traded at the time and at number 10 I have Jalen Suggs to the Grizzlies which was the traded pick from the Pelicans but Suggs can be a true uh, floor general take some usage away from John Morant but also could play off of John Morant he's not a bad shooter both could coexist playing off each other they're both pretty good three-point shooters 10 was originally Zaire Williams which big men don't usually progress quick and with how the 2022 redraft of this past draft fell, the 2021 redraft, excuse me, Suggs would be probably the best available and help the Grizzlies compete now. Now, there you have it. Another basketball list I'm mad at. Another basketball fan I'm mad at. But I'll say this. I'm always mad at redrafts. It's not just you, Mr. Varma. Don't take it personal. Redrafts happen because scouts miss, but everyone misses. The fact that we're redrafting 2021 already, though, is ridiculous. Kaminga could develop a jumper. Sangoon could just become Nikola Jokic. Who knows? And then the redraft changed again. So stop redrafting. Please and thank you. Another quick list we're going to get mad at. 10 unanswered questions from Game of Thrones. This will be a quickie before we get into Hump Day Hoopers and Hater Wednesday after the break. Number one, question number one. What was the point of the White Walkers? Now, I'm doing this thing in 2022 where I'm going to watch 12 of the greatest shows on television, one each month, and I did my rewatch of Game of Thrones in January. The first scene of the entire show was a White Walker, and it literally had nothing to do with the ending. The Night King was only used to fulfill Arya's destiny, and the Ice Dragon did nothing in Season 8. Greatly upset. No point in the White Walkers. We knew minimal about the Night King, and it was all hype and no bite. Give me some Bradley Veal vibe. Bradley Veal vibes. Question number two. Why didn't Arya make better use of her skills? So many hours watched of Arya mastering that faceless god mumbo jumble. And she only murdered three people. Didn't really take anyone's face. Disappointing. Number three. Where did Drogon take Daenerys' body? Maybe this is answered in House of Fire. Let's just hope. Because the whole Targaryen thing and how it fell out. Disappointing. Question four. 
is Jon Snow a wildling at the end of the show. Jon Snow accepted punishment and went back to Castle Black. Then him and his dire wolf and Tormund, where's the big woman at? Went beyond the wall without any information about it. Just ended with them behind the wall. Awesome. Number five, did Gilly ever baby? Remember Samwell, Tarly, and Gilly? Because I sure do. What a waste of time they were. And the only thing they brought out of it was Gilly was pregnant. And we never got to see the baby. Another open door. Number six, did Bran know he was going to be dubbed King Bran the Broken this entire time? Bran knew past, present, and future events. So why didn't he mention that he would be king? Whatever. Terrible writing. I can't wait to get mad about this rewatch. Number seven. Remember Mira Reed talking about Bran? I do. Mira, Mira Reed carried Bran around for season. Seasons. And no mention of her. He was dubbed king. No thanks in State of the Union, President Bran the Broken. Awesome. Question eight. Who was the Azor High? Melisandre, the Lady of Fire, one of the more interesting characters in Game of Thrones. She put a lot of emphasis on the Azor side. There was a prophecy, legends of the prince that was promised, and nothing. She had visions of him over a couple episodes. Nothing came out of it, except her telling that Arya was going to kill the Night King, which came out of nothing for the White Walkers. Awesome. With the White Walkers, did the White Walker babies turn into adult White Walkers? Once again, another question about one of the biggest bads. The Night King was up there with Thanos, Bane, Darth Vader, O.J. Simpson for some of the most notorious bad guys. But now he's just a speckle compared to those guys. Why? No plot development. Awesome. Question 10. We saw Jon Snow return to Castle Black. And of course they lead back in with some little green shoots of snow. So is winter finally over now that the Night King is dead? Is Bran going to be the Night King? I don't know. I'm reading these questions and getting mad. I don't know because Game of Thrones season eight was a hellhole. I'm upset, guys. Very upset. Season one through six, spectacle of a television show. Some of the best TV I've ever watched. Some of the best TV we have ever watched as a population. And what do we get? A measly ending that we don't even get 10 episodes for the finale. I mean, think of what could have been. The Night King winning the Battle of Winterfell. Masandi being a spy for the Lannister household. An HBO crossover that sees Johnny Drama giving us a victory screech from the Iron Throne. My God, an HBO crossover would have been monstrous. But no. Shame on George R. R. Martin. Shame on HBO. After the break, I'm upset. I'm going to try to find some good. We have Hump Day Hoopers. We have some Hater Wednesday. So I'll find good for maybe two minutes with my five guys that have been pretty shocking to me. And then I'll go back to hating everything again. Happy 2022, folks. I can't even talk right. Getting mad over here. I'm going to get a drink of water. After the break, Hump Day Hoopers. Hater Wednesday. Because it is Wednesday, Hump Day Hoopers, Hater Wednesday, and we're going to start with Mike. Mike, guess what day it is? Mike, 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 Mike. Hump Day. Hump Day Hoopers, folks. It is the Hump Day Hoopers segment of the show where we are back with five of the best Hoopers of the week. And we gave you the top Hoopers of 2021, but who is starting off 2022 on the right foot. Hump day hooper number one, Kobe White. Kobe White has averaged 15 points and four assists, a 44% shooting in December. How about 18 points and four assists on 56% shooting in January? And you know what? You know what I admire about Kobe White? He very well could have given up after signing Lonzo and Caruso. But Kobe White is flourishing in roles thrust upon him because of injury, because of COVID. So shout out Kobe White for being the top hump day hooper, for sticking with it with my bowls. Kobe White, hump day hooper number one of week one. Hump day hooper number two. Sadiq Bey, Bey Bey. Since December 16th, let me give you Sadiq Bey's point totals. 28, 23, 26, 15, 23, 23, 32, 21, 34. For none of you math nerds, because if you're listening to this, you're not a math nerd, you probably turned it off after I yelled at you about the big bad Frenchman being the MVP race. That's 25 points a game on 43% shooting. 
He had a buzzer beater on New Year's Day to beat the Spurs. Had 34-8-4 and in a win against the Bucks, leading the Pistons to a 2-0 start in 2022. How about that? Hump day hooper number three, Kyle Kuzma. Kuzma is averaging 28 points and 11 rebounds a game on above 50% shooting. Pretty solid. There was a lot of gripe given to him about that big pink sweater, and he's responded pretty well. So shout out Saga Nasty. Kuzma sliding in at number three this week. Number four, I got Tyler. Tyrese, not Tyler, Tyrese Halliburton. The Kings have been rumored to get off of De'Aaron Fox for uh, quite a while now. And Tyrese Halliburton's been making the decision a little bit easier. Over his last 10 games, Halliburton's around 18 points, 10 assists, and shooting close to 50% from the field and 46% from three over the stretch. Just tremendous basketball being played by the Iowa State product. And it's going to make it pretty easy when they want to move off of Fox. Hump Day Hooper number four, Tyrese Halliburton. Let's hear it for him. Hump Day Hooper number five, Omer Yurtsevin. You might be asking yourself, who? And I was a couple weeks ago, too. But then the Heat has had some bad luck with injuries, have had some bouts with COVID. No Bam, no Jimmy. The team's still struggling along. Chugging along, not struggling. Chugging along. And why? Because the guys like Max Struss, Gabe Vincent, and their new starting center, Omer Yurtsevin. That's right, I'm a Yurtsevin guy. He has started the last five games for the Heat, and his averages are... Not jaw-dropping, but certainly helping. 12 points, 13 rebounds, just under 50% shooting. Shout-out guys like Kobe White, Omer Yurtsevin. Pieces like that are helping this season stay afloat. COVID is all everywhere in this uh, year. But Omer Yurtsevin don't matter. Omer Yurtsevin came to hack fouls and get boards. He don't care. He just wants to play in the NBA, and that man is living his dream. Shout-out Omer Yurtsevin for Hump Day Hooper number 5. And for the final segment of the week one 2022 show of Nothing But Airtime, it is Hater Wednesday. And because it's 2022, I've got 22 things I'm hating on heading into 2022. And my first thing I'm hating on is talk detectors. I don't, not, I, I don't need to know that you're going to grab a gallon of milk and some diapers for your kid when I'm leaving work. Either call your wife like a real man or just take two minutes out of your day to formulate a text. You guys are whack jobs. Just a phone call or a text. Talk to text is the worst of both worlds. Number two, another person I'm typing, another type of person I'm hating on, the people who don't know what they want to order after spending 20 minutes in line. It's infuriating. I'm hungry. I'm on a lunch break. I don't have time to hear you debate over the Caesar salad or house salad as a side. Let's go, people. Number three, I hate elevator conversation, people. Let me hate, let me rephrase that. I hate small talk. Yeah, the weather sucks and the holiday was good. Let's just eliminate it and start asking each other the wild questions. Ask me how many nine-year-olds it would take to beat me up in a cage match. I'd be more interested talking to you about that than the fact that there's nine inches of damn snow on the ground. Number four. Something that boils my blood is number four. More than anything in the world, probably till next week when I find something else to be mad at. Triple A batteries can suck my butt. I don't, I don't understand the need for them. We as a world should have one size of battery. A AA battery is all we need. Boycotting AAA batteries for the time being. Number five, birthday dinners. Nobody is comfortable. Us singing is not comfortable. You sitting there hearing us singing terribly is not comfortable. So let's just do away with it in 2022. Can we, folks? I like it. Number six, I hate loud cars. We get it. You think your car's cool? I don't give a damn. Number seven, I hate snacks that leave residue on your hands. Cheetos, Doritos, Oreos, all the good ones. It's brutal. Figure it out, big chip, big Oreo people. Figure out how we don't get them on our hands. I've been eating Cheetos with forks. Not the best idea in the world, but you don't get that stuff on your hands. Number eight, Pretty a topical one here talking about Game of Thrones. A great TV show with atrocious ending. Good movies with atrocious ending. Another one that I hate. Number nine. Often compared to the talk to texter, but the guy who has way too loud of a phone call going on where we hear both ends of the call. I don't want to hear your conversation. You don't want me hearing your conversation. So figure out your volume, dude. It's brutal over here. Number 10. Can be the same person as the way too long of orderer kind of falls in the same realm but the accordion file folder person in the office 
You know, the ones where they take it out of their bag and they open up like it's luggage. Nobody cares that you're organized. You are taking forever to find the data, holding up the meeting, hating on the accordion file, file folder guy. And yes, I'm looking at George Costanza. The accordion file folder guy is ridiculous. Number 11. I hate sinks that are too slow to drain. Is it really clogged or is the sink just older than me? Number 12, often confused with the log car people, I hate the two parking space people. Your truck isn't that nice and I hope it gets towed. Number 13, I hate pigeons. Number 14, I hate the song Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. Number 15, I hate recycled movie and TV shows ideas. Number 16, I hate my phone auto-correcting OTW into on the way with an exclamation point. Nothing that I am on the way to ever gets me that excited. Number 17, I hate people that call stuff cray-cray instead of crazy. Number 18, it's winter. And I hate when I put on a coat over a long sleeve shirt and have just one of the shirt sleeve roll up to my elbow, but the other is down to my wrist. Number 19, I hate the people who fail to clean up the piss off a public toilet. Add that on to my number 20 hate, the hate the people that fail to clean up after themselves literally anywhere. Number 21, I hate turning down Girl Scouts in person. I'm a broke college male right now, and Thin Mints aren't going to help me with that. But they don't see me as that. They just see me as some jerk college student who doesn't want to buy their cookies. Figure it out, nine-year-old girls. I'm poor, you're going to be poor, and you're going to be in the same spot as me, and then you're going to recognize it. Number 22, last thing I'm hating on, I'm hating on ridiculous NBA lists. Whether it's redrafts, MVP voting, I just cannot stand it right now. That's it from us at Nothing But Airtime. Pretty anger-filled show. I'm sorry if I ruined your Wednesday. It is hump day. I want you all to have a great hump day. I will see you all next week, hopefully with a more positive show, a nice soothing show where I'm not mad about redrafts. I'm finding things I'm grateful for in the NBA. Maybe that's next week. Who knows? Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a safe week.